We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2022 NFL Free Agency Recap Fantasy Spin. We're going to go team by team, player by player, position by position. And let you know the info in case you missed anything. Reminder to smash the like button for the episode. Sub to Mayo Media Network in the comment section. Give me your favorite free agent signing, offense, defense, special teams, potentially. If you're a big Joel Pinheiro fan of the New York Jets, maybe you think that's the best signing. It's not, but maybe you think it is because you're an idiot or something. I don't know, but leave that down in the comment section. Remember to rate and review and subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast as well. Bringing them in because this is what we do from theathletic.com at Kid on Twitter, one of the most accurate rankers. I'd say the most accurate ranker, but that wouldn't be accurate on my part. Now, would it, Jake Seeley? <laughs> no, it wouldn't. That's why my trophy behind me is like only this big and Jeff's goes all the way to the floor because he is the number one. I am only number two. But together, we make the most accurate number one show. And you said Joel Pinheiro. That was the pitcher. I think it isn't Eddie Pinheiro the kicker. And see, I don't even care about kickers. You see, know that. See, there we go. I, I That's how insignificant the signing is to me. The only thing I remember about Pinheiro <laughs> is that wasn't he the one who dunked it off the upright for the Bears? And then they, that was it for them? Oh, yeah, I think so. I don't know. You, 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 you think I would remember all the missed kicks. He, he used to <laughs> kick for the Bears. I remember that at one point, yeah. So not Joel Pinheiro. You are correct. He was a soft-throwing pitcher for, I want to say, the Angels or the Cubs like 10 years ago. He actually writes for The Athletic. Nano brought him on. He writes some relief pitcher articles for baseball. Of course he did. <laughs> Who's going to get you your holds in your fantasy baseball league? And a bunch of 78-year-olds are like, ah, oh, I need my holds. I hate this. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about football. Jacksonville. What are they doing? <laughs> Spending a lot of money. A what? hell of a lot of money. This is what happens. When you're a crap franchise, we'll be honest about it. Like, the only way you get people there is you overpay. Uh, you know, we can look at it. You can look at it two different ways. You can say one is what they've been doing is bananas. Like, there's just nobody out there that's like, oh, this makes a ton of sense. On the flip side, for fantasy purposes, which we're here to talk about, there are things where you can look at it and say, all right, this is intriguing. This looks interesting. I think you could say Christian Kirk overpaid. Shouldn't be top three, let alone top 10 in the league. We can all like Christian Kirk. No, he doesn't deserve that kind of money. Zay Jones, I actually think is more egregious, even though he got paid significantly less. 
Evan Ingram, sure, fine. You know, yes, you go back to his rookie season with the Giants. A lot of fun. But I think what it comes all down to, Pat, is they also address the offensive line. This is just, hey, no Urban Meyer. This team did everything it could possibly do. Like, if you if you gave me a blueprint and said, hey, this is how you screw up a generational quarterback talent in his rookie season, the Jaguars did that. And I think that's what we're looking at here is, yeah, Kirk, fine. Okay, Marvin Jones still relevant. All about... I think it really just comes down to Trevor Lawrence could get to QB1 status in 2022. Yeah, especially if he keeps running, and that was going to be the big thing. These offensive weapons, I really don't care about, to tell you the truth. Like, how if we were to do wide receiver rankings today, knowing that you know there's been no cuts or trades or anything like that, so Chenault is still technically on the team. Marvin Jones is still on this team. Laquan Treadwell was actually their best receiver last year. I don't know if Dan Arnold's still around or not. I assume he's not going to be around if Evan Ingram was brought in. But, like, how high would you rank Christian Kirk? Like, what's the ceiling on Christian Kirk in your rankings? Not, I mean, technically, he could be wide receiver one because he plays football and is on the <laughs> field catching balls and potential touchdowns. That's probably an outlier situation. Like, I couldn't imagine drafting any of these Jags receivers before, like, wide receiver 40, 45. Yeah, I probably, if, like, off the top of my head, would probably have Kirk, uh, what first came to mind, like, mid-30s. I could even see it a little bit lower. And I talked about it with Seth Bob Warren on my show on Tuesday. And said, we both said the same thing. It's like, I don't know. There's going to be a huge gap between Kirk and Jones. So I'll wait three, four rounds and take Marvin Jones because everybody's going to be taking Kirk because we know this about Kirk is the same thing I said on your show, Pat. I said on my show. I said in articles. The similarities, it was a very easy, like people always want comps coming out of college and there's never like, okay, this player is 100% going to be this player. But I always said the easiest one for Kirk is Sterling Shepard. Really good slot receiver. Can play outside. You don't want him to always play outside. He's always better in the slot and with somebody else. Is Marvin Jones enough of somebody else and how much are they going to kick him outside? Does Zay Jones signing me, they're going to run a, mean they're going to run a lot of three wide and Kirk will be able to be in the slot a lot. So I just, you go down the road and I just say, you know what? Let everybody else draft Kirk. I'm going to wake and take Marvin Jones at the discount and celebrate. Even then, you probably don't even want Marvin Jones. I think that Lawrence, uh, to kind of quote, quote you, sometimes you just want to buy the cow. Don't buy the steak. Just get the guy who's facilitating. Oh, no, it's buy the cake, not the icing. Eh, well, it's like this, this, it's the same sort of analogy, I suppose. <laughs> but take the I guy, like yours, too. <laughs> take, take the guy at the helm who's going to accrue all these fantasy points distributed between like eight separate guys. And we still have the question mark about what's going on in this backfield. Like, I have, and this is a personal situation to me, as a red shirt keeper this year, I have my guy, and your guy, Travis Etchin, as a ninth-round keeper with no penalty <laughs> attached to him whatsoever. He's like a free keep for me as long as I use a ninth-round pick. Is he going to be the guy in this backfield, or are we dealing with another year of James Robinson? I think, well, James Robinson is coming off a significant injury, too. Yeah. We all know that. And so it's, is he ready for week one? Uh, is ETN the guy as etn i think it'll be really telling what this team thinks depending on what happens in the draft so you know if they get a sixth rounder okay they're probably going to try and see what etn has and think that james robinson's gonna be fine and i think you could look at a backfield that's very much like what we just saw with javante williams and melvin gordon last year like neither one of them and I don't. I say that to say, like, neither one of them is going to really push ahead of the other by a large margin. You're going to have weeks where they're both RB2s, one week where one goes off and the other doesn't. But I don't think they're going to be, like, top 15 each, like we just saw with Gordon Williams. I think this is more, like, in the 20s. Uh, 
maybe more so uh, I could, you know what Arizona might be a better comparison when Edmonds was healthy and something like that so you to get that RB1 2 value you probably need somebody getting that touchdown volume and that might still be James Robinson if healthy so I think it's just a question we don't know as of today. We're going to have to see. And the biggest part of it is the coaching staff has this, as we've seen so many times before, coaching staff has zero ties to the guys who are there right now. So they might, like I said, if they draft the running back in the third round, I'd be legitimately concerned for ETN and James Robinson. Evan Ingram, tight end inside the top 12 or well outside the top 12? Mm, I'd say clo- closer to top 12 than well outside of it, but that's just because of the tight end position. And honestly, Evan Ingram was done no favors with Jason Garrett, that offense. I mean, no, he, it's crazy to say, but you know this is true. No Daniel Jones hurt him because just look at who they turned to. And not that Daniel Jones is that great, but that offense had problems up and down everything. Like there's just so many things. And there is still hope with Evan Ingram. He is a matchup problem. We saw it in his rookie season and we saw flashes of it since then. So it's easier to get to top 12 than for somebody of his talent to just completely fall out and be like a top, I'd say what tight end 25. I I would put the odds on more likely to be top 12 than 25th. It was funny to look at Evan Ingram's numbers in terms of average depth of target going back to his rookie season through now as it's gone down every single year he's been in the league. Now, obviously, like you mentioned, no Daniel Jones and Mike Glennon is throwing you the ball. That could have something to do with it. No offensive line could have something to do with it. More playmakers in that offense has something to do with it and different schemes at different times has a lot to do with it as well. Or it could be a loss of athleticism too, where he was a super freak athlete playing the tight end position, really playing slot receiver coming out of college. Now we're like six years later, maybe he's lost a step or two. But I do think that the increase in protection for Trevor Lawrence with these offensive line upgrades is going to allow him to maybe throw the ball a bit more downfield than we saw last season that's kind of the inverse of what's going on in Miami at the moment because they've signed all these guys running backs receivers yet have yet to address the offensive line which you know by looking at the numbers is their number one concern uh I would still say yeah I mean is it or is it now still either way yeah number one concern yeah It was their number one concern. It still is their number one concern. And they legit have not done anything to address this so far. What they've done (laughs) is sign three running backs. So you have your guys that were there anyway are just everyone is still I mean Salvan Ahmed's probably still on this roster somewhere they pick up Alex still right now yeah they pick up Alex Ingold Alec Ingold from the Raiders so you're probably going to see him play the fullback you're going to like basically they're going to try to replicate at least with these personnel decisions from what I'm seeing is what they did in San Francisco they're going to have a fullback offense and run a myriad of running backs out of the backfield because they signed Raheem Mostard who's going to be very familiar with the system with Mike McDaniel now as the head coach and they bring in Chase Edmonds who doesn't really seem to fit I would think with what they want to do like who's the comp to Chase Edmonds from the San Francisco offense it doesn't feel like there's anyone yeah no interestingly enough I mean if you had to like so not now but like coming out of college you would have said like Elijah Elijah Mitchell who like pass catching running back which everybody expected out of college it's actually very similar to what happened to Antonio Gibson it's like hey this guy basically played wide receiver and then it's all of a sudden like no we're just gonna run him run him run him and barely use him in the passing game so I'm with you like as looking as of today like the Chase Edmonds was intriguing like hey look at the money they gave him they're obviously using him probably as the lead and I I I, even before Monster came in, I was hesitant to like buy into Edmonds because there was going to be so much hype and so much excitement because Mike McDaniel is going to do what Shanahan has always done, and this is the guy that he brought in, and blah, blah, blah. 
And then what do we usually have every single year with San Francisco, Pat? Every single year, it's the guy that nobody it, you, it was what you used to say about the ravens it ended up being about the the 49ers it's always like the one that doesn't get drafted like nobody was taking elijah mitchell until late 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 in drafts like trey sermon was still going and then all of a sudden it was elijah mitchell and he probably still wasn't even going in most drafts so if we're following course here it's not most of her Edmonds. it might just be whichever running back they still keep on the roster like ahmed um but i'm not worried about Ingold. like i said you the juice use chick thing it makes sense I think Mostert's the lead-ish until he gets hurt. Like, he's going to be fun for the three or four games, and then it's going to be Edmonds. If, but that's I think right now the problem is I think everybody's involved until somebody goes down, and I think that's what we're looking at. That was always the intrigue with the 49ers is, yeah, it's fun. Everybody's productive. But the few times when everybody's healthy, it's kind of a frustrating situation to deal with. Yeah, it's the it's the Ouroboros situation where the snake is eating its own <laughs> tail, where you just can't yes. get ahead in any sort of situation. Watch somehow that Miles Gaskin is actually a consistent positive <laughs> fantasy contributor this year when literally no one ends up drafting the guy because all of a sudden he just it turns out he needed a fullback to block for him the entire time. The reason I mention Ingold is... It just decreases the amount of three wide receiver sets because you know that they're going to run Gesicki. Now you can call him a receiver, but then you're playing fewer tight end sets. And we know in that San Francisco offense, they like to run a lot of two tight end sets, whether it be with Dwelly and Kittle. One guy's a primary blocker. One guy's going to go run routes. And Miami might have like 58 tight ends on the roster by the time the season comes along because that's just what Miami does. They all have like some iteration of the same guy, whether it be Durham Smythe or Adam Shaheen or Mac Hollins, all of the other guys who aren't Mike Gesicki that when they catch a and you're like, yes, Gesicki. No, that's not Gesicki. <laughs> and the only one you can tell that's not him is Mac Hollins because he has the hair coming out of the helmet. And he wears 86. So he's just slightly off a little bit. You're like, it's a really big receiver. Oh, no, that's Mac Hollins. He has the dual eligibility in fantasy if you really want to. And then they bring back Preston Williams in the receiving game. Yeah. Yeah. And they bring in Cedric Wilson. Like, I, there you go. I, I can't figure out outside of Jalen Waddle who I would actually want to draft on this team. I don't know that there's much else. I mean, Gesicki's going to be intriguing because tight end position is the tight end position. Like, even if he but, has but the can, inconsistent But can't you, but won't he just get lost in the shuffle with all of these guys? Like, he was getting lost anyway in the shuffle. And if they, if they don't yeah. improve the offensive line, Tua's still not going to have time to throw. No, but I mean, you also, you talk about like the depth of target with Evan Ingram. And you also have the opportunity for, your, for Gesicki. Just, you know, you look at more of, all right, Wild Gasicki, can we get open quickly? Gasicki still has that. That's the whole reason he was trying to like say, "Oh, I'm a wide receiver." He still has that talent. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Like, I've been anti Gasicki for a while because of exactly what you're talking about. When a lot of people had him this year, you can go back and look. People were calling him like breakout for 2021. And I was like, no way, especially for the fact they added Waddle. Because if you looked at Gasicki last year, one of the highest opportunity shares that's including target share and then like routes run and all that type of stuff opportunities overall and still was even barely yeah i think he was still just outside the top five tight ends and fantasy production with all the injuries and all this before that was 2020 is what i'm talking about and that's why i was like you bring in waddle who also plays a ton out of the slot and gasicki played a ton out of the slot the year before i'm with you and i'm saying that to say like now i'm back around of like saying I wouldn't downgrade him. I think we just look at him exactly as he was last year. And maybe because everybody's worried that he's just going to get lost in the shuffle, he becomes a low tight end one value. Like I'm not going to target him, but if 
12th, 13th round, fine. I'll take him as my tight end, mostly because I just want to avoid the – what I've been saying, like everybody wants the dead zone of running backs. I'll call them the dead zone of tight ends. I basically don't want any tight end from like tight end 6 to tight end 10 because that's – every single year, that's a mistake. But the only one, to answer your question overall, the only one I want is Jalen Waddell. Everybody else, I think it's just going to be a cluster, honestly. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Washington trades for Carcinio Wentz. That's always fun when you can trade picks for Carson Wentz and pay him a ton of money, including his roster bonus. And then all of a sudden they swerve last second. I saw the Antonio Gibson people on Twitter being like, oh, our time is now. Basically like, like John Cena (laughs) was there. It was perfect for anyone who had any investment in Antonio Gibson because J.D. McKissick was going to Buffalo. But apparently Buffalo couldn't sign him, so they just signed a bunch of better players instead. Although Paul was pretty excited about (laughs) J.D. McKissick going to Buffalo because that means you get rid of Zach Moss, have an actual pass catcher. You don't have to rely on, like, Matt Breda or Patrick DeMarco to catch balls out of the backfield. But... I don't really think this does too much to Antonio Gibson because he was able to operate without McKissick last year. Once he got himself right and over that shin injury, he was excellent. So I have a feeling it was more or less the shin injury that was holding him back most of the year. I agree. And I wasn't upgrading him without McKissick and I'm not downgrading him with McKissick. I just, McKissick was a non-factor in my value of Antonio Gibson. I have him as a low-end RB1, high, like inside the top 10 lower. So maybe mid-low, RB1 really what it comes down to is we even saw last year and yeah there were some times involving that injury you're talking about but Washington and Ron Rivera still wanted to use somebody they used Jarrett Patterson as a pass catcher sometimes and we're talking about Antonio Gibson who was primarily more of a wide receiver in college and they still wanted to use somebody else McKissick's back they're going to want to use McKissick and I'm saying that to say if McKissick left that's why I didn't move Antonio Gibson up. I was like, he's still going to share. They might draft somebody like Cook, uh, Dalvin Cook's brother. Uh, so I was, I was in the fact of six, seven, eight range. It, to be honest with you, if they went full bell cow with him, yeah, we could talk top five. We could talk potentially knocking on that tier one door. But I just think this is always where he's going to be, which is fine. That's good. That's a, you know, this is what, you know, is we can keep him healthy and get this production kind of like a Joe Mixon season, you know, maybe by attrition and staying healthy, he finishes RB5. But yeah, I really, McKissick there or not, zero effect on how I feel about Gibson. He is a great running back uh, and he's just, stays as a great running back. I I did enjoy the commentary that if J.D. McKissick is gone, like you said, it's like, oh, well, Antonio Gibson's just going to get 40 carries a game. It's like, it doesn't quite (laughs) work. They they might sign someone. They they were using Wendell Smallwood at points last year as well, along with Jared Patterson. So they got other guys on the roster they can turn to to spell him from time to time. What do you make of this offense with Wentz? Like, how does that affect McLaurin? Does Curtis Samuel have some value now that hopefully he's... going to be recovered from this groin injury that legitimately plagued him all 18 weeks last year couldn't even suit up half the games we know that he was an intriguing idea last year with Rivera coming over from Carolina the way that he'll touch the ball out of the backfield maybe take away from Gibson a little bit in that McKissick role and run these really short a dot routes that put him in space but he could be a PPR sensation that was sort of the idea behind it now he's kind of off the radar with everyone do you think this team is better fantasy wise with Wentz than it was with Heineke no I think there's a higher ceiling. Uh, if you look at Heineke and Wentz of recent years, and we'll get to it too, that Roethlisberger actually comes into a similar conversation to this. It's not really 
an upgrade. Uh, honestly, it's not really a downgrade. The only thing is that we know that Wentz, if he could ever even get back to 90% of that one amazing season, which everybody, let's just be honest, these teams keep trying to like unlock the Wentz we saw the one year when everybody was like, oh my God, we have the new top five quarterback in the does, NFL. He's going to be any, amazing. Does anyone remember that he blew his knee out that season and his big thing was being like, <laughs> Greased up deaf guy from Family Guy. No one could tackle him. He was just like, here's eight guys submerging Carson Wentz in the pocket. Then all of a sudden he's like, and he's just out. And he's he can't do that anymore. Now he just tries to throw with his left hand backwards. I don't think I've ever heard anybody reference that in a long time. That was a good one. The, the image immediately comes to mind. That's a great image, by the way. So, yes, that was part of his game. That's part of his threat. I know we're not talking Russell Wilson right now, but that's part of for fantasy purposes why I'm not overly like moving Russell Wilson way up my de- like my rankings because he doesn't run anymore. Carson Wentz, you take that away a little bit. Like that's the concern too about Daniel Jones and the head injury. And like, is he going to want to run less and take away that dimension and potentially, you know, force him to be more in the pocket, which is what we're seeing. It's very similar to this Carson Wentz that you force him to be in the pocket all the time. It's just not as good as a quarterback. He never really was. That's as you mentioned, that, you know, part of that was, is what helped him take that next level. So, Carson Wentz, the one thing he has over Heineke is the touchdown to interception ratio. A little bit reckless, or less reckless, but Heineke's recklessness is kind of what we like for fantasy because he's going to take chances, he's going to take shots. So if you have the ball a little bit more, if you turn it over a little bit less, if Carson Wentz can get like a little bit improvement over last year, the ceiling's a little bit higher, but I just don't think McLaurin being a wide receiver one is ever in the cards with this kind of quarterback and this kind of offense. So yes, there's a ceiling for more, but as of today, I just think it's like a pretty much a net neutral, you know, copy paste Washington from last year and similar results this year. And yeah, it wasn't even so much the running for Wentz that it was for me. It was his ability to extend plays and continue to look downfield right. and maybe take right. off from time to time. I mean, getting three or four rushing touchdowns a year is, isn't nothing. That's that's great. But he wasn't piling up like 500 yards on the ground. It's very akin to what Roethlisberger was able to do for such a prolonged period of time until he just couldn't anymore. Just shaking off defensive linemen, keeping the play going, and then all of a sudden guys are wide open down the field. It was a big thing with Russell Wilson, too. I mean... Doug Baldwin wasn't a good deep threat. He just had a lot of deep catches because plays Russ would extend plays, shake guys off. People just lose track of Doug Baldwin down the field. He'd just be wide open. And that's that made him a great pairing and a stack with Russell Wilson to begin with, but it just made him a good receiver. He was able to do that, and Russ would know where he was. Mitch Trubisky signs with the yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers. They also re-signed Haskins. I actually think this is an upgrade for them. I think this offense is going to be better with Mitch Trubisky. Not that I think that he's really any good. I just happen to think that he's better than 2021 Ben Roethlisberger. Is that, I don't feel like that's an outrageous statement. No, so he, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to take it one step further, Pat. As I actually dug into the numbers and I said, you know what? We all know 2021 Ben Roethlisberger was not that good. So I said, let's take Trubisky's career. And I was like, all right. Let's let's see if we can include 2020 because that 2020 Roethlisberger wasn't that good either. Numbers are still a little bit worse. I'm like, hey, maybe we can get a third year here. Numbers still a little bit worse. And I went the fourth year. That's when it finally stopped. And then I looked. And so the past three seasons for Roethlisberger versus Trubisky, almost identical completion percentages, 64 to 64.6 uh, yards per attempt significantly better for Trubisky air yards for attempt, super significantly better 8.13 to 6.64. The touchdown to interception ratio is where Roethlisberger has him 2.2 to 1.7. But here was the most intriguing one. 
Everybody's like, Trubisky can't throw. He doesn't know how to throw to his wide receivers. Can't throw left. Blah, 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 blah. Off target percentage from true media. Is so basically when the quarterback is throwing uncatchable balls, essentially. 11.7 for Ben Roethlisberger. 6.9 for Trubisky's career. The past three years have been Three years have been worse for Roethlisberger. And I'm not, for everybody out there, I'm not saying to go draft Trubisky. I'm not saying everybody's going to be better now with Pittsburgh. I'm just saying it's not a downgrade. I'm not downgrading Deontay Johnson. And as of right now, I'm not downgrading Claypool, and I'm not downing, downgrading Fryermuth. And actually, he likes to throw the running backs a little bit more than Ben Roethlisberger does, so I'm not downgrading Najee Harris. The only thing that would make me downgrade a little bit, Pat, is if Juju Smith-Schuster comes back and then Juju Smith-Schuster and Claypool I would be concerned about because Trubisky is very valuable in two wide receivers. You start adding a third dimension, and that's where things start to get a little haywire. I think you can look at it one of two ways, that Trubisky may have been buried in a bad system with Matt Nagy, and that didn't play to his strengths. True. And maybe he went and saw what happened with Brian Dable and Josh Allen and Buffalo, learned a little bit there. Maybe he's better now, or maybe he was always okay and never reached the potential that he was going to be at. I don't think that anyone's saying that he's going to be a top five quarterback or even a top 10 quarterback or a fucking 15 quarterback in football, <laughs> but be competent. Be able to use your legs, extend plays, and throw the ball deep downfield. The issue would be is that maybe this offense was so tailored to Ben that we really haven't seen what Pittsburgh can do outside of Ben Roethlisberger and playing specifically to his strengths and designing an offense specifically catered to him. Maybe they can, and maybe it won't be that big of a deal. But now Trubisky has to walk into a brand new offense, and the team likely has to create a brand new offense. Then you have the favorites that he's going to play. Is he just going to throw the ball to Deontay Johnson 17 times a game? Maybe he likes Claypool. <laughs> maybe he likes Fryermuth. Maybe he likes Juju, depending on where he ends up going so I think you have to factor that sort of I think it's only downside for Deontay Johnson because I think he was so safe so stable and so much of it was volume based maybe his efficiency goes up and he has a better year I would be very dubious that the volume stays there for him as opposed to the other guys on the team that would be my one thing on Deontay I'm okay with his volume unless Juju comes back like I, I I completely agree with what you're saying um, I think the volume of the passing game, assuming Trubisky is at least what I just talked about, at least not a downgrade that, you know, Claypool, and then you look at their depth chart behind them. I'm sure they would probably draft somebody in later rounds or add somebody as a, a you know, a low cost free agent, whoever's still hanging out there. But I think that we're looking at is right now is it's a very clear two with the tight end. And uh, the the reason I went to that wide receiver, and this could kind of back up your point, is the increase to throwing to running backs, it doesn't actually come from the decrease of tight ends. They actually target their tight ends about the same, Roethlisberger and Trubisky. It's, he targets his wide receivers a little bit less. So that's why I was concerned about the Claypool if Juju Smith-Schuster came back. And there is a world where your scenario happens. So I'm not downgrading Deontay as of today, but I'm not saying that it's a guarantee that that could have happened, what you just said. There could be a world where even if Juju doesn't come back, Claypool ends up being <clears throat> wide receiver 15 and Deontay's wide receiver 25 just because of how Trubisky plays. So yeah, there, there's risk obviously here until we see this play out. But as of today, I'm still okay with Deontay, but I, I acknowledge there is definitely potential to, to see a downfall. There's also the risk that Trubisky just sucks, too, and he's not good. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, 100%. I mean, this is going to be, like, even worse than what we saw with Carson Wentz last year. There's, a, there's obviously, the, that's a realistic possibility. 
Let's go to Cleveland, where they trade for Amari Cooper. They signed Jakeem Grant. Uh, let's Breaking see. news. They are officially out on Deshaun Watson. They've I, been informed. I, I was going to say that. We don't know the result of the Deshaun Watson trade as of the time of this recording. It does seem like he's going to New Orleans, but we don't know that for sure as of it. Maybe we can speculate on Deshaun stuff towards the end, which will be like wildly out of date two, two hours later. So maybe we don't do that. <laughs> but no Jarvis Landry, I'm guessing, for the Cleveland Browns in this scenario. We don't know who no. their quarterback is going to be because it's looking more and more like it's not going to be Baker. Uh, he's I mean if you're paying attention to his social media it definitely sounds like he doesn't think it's himself anymore I think the Watson thing yeah this almost now that we just got this news while we're doing this that they've been informed they're officially out sidebar I find this so intriguing to me that Houston's in this bind Deshaun Watson have this all legal stuff and he's out there dictating what teams can trade like this is just so baffling to me but anyway as an aside, they're out. So do they try to mend fences with Baker now? Because that's the problem. It's like, what do you do if it's not Baker? Are we, you're going to blow things up? Because if you're blowing things up, that's the only option you have now is you're, you're backed into a corner where it's, you get rid of him. If the Saints are the answer, maybe you'll go get Jameis. But are we going to draft the quarterback in the first round now? When a lot of people, including oh. myself, thought you might go, Draft a wide receiver like Burks or London? What? There, there, there is an answer if he's healthy to this question, by the way. What is the answer? The Fitz magic. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that. Wow. Uh, this is, yeah, so what I said a couple weeks ago is there was going to be one team when I couldn't even think of the name musical chairs. I said that the Jeff on my show I was like, I couldn't, couldn't think of the word musical chairs. There's going to be a team left and it's going to be without the chair. And now it's heading towards, it looked like it might be the Cleveland Browns. Although the Indianapolis Colts are still kind of out there too, but I think Jameis is going to be interesting. If Watson goes to the saints. Now, if Watson goes to Atlanta, you know, do they try I say this Cleveland or does somebody try to trade for Matt Ryan in that contract? This is going to be this domino effect is going to be very intriguing. There's going to be a team left and there's going to be a team panicking. And right now it's looking like it might be back to the Browns. And that's what I'm saying. Like, is Baker back to being the quarterback next year? And so I bring that up to say this. Landry's not there, as you mentioned. If Baker's the quarterback, if it's Fitzpatrick, if it's a rookie or whatever it is, they're probably investing a draft pick in a even day one or day two, and there's going to be a lot of good tight end or wide receivers in day two is I'm still not overly excited about what the real truth here is. What we're probably burying the lead is Amari Cooper. And then the fact that I don't think this is a stock up for Damari Cooper. Like if it was today and they didn't do anything else. Yeah, sure. Cause he's going to get 27% target volume, but I think there's come somebody else coming in one way or another. And I think in this offense, which is Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and then the rest, this is a downgrade for Amari Cooper. Top 15, top 20, top 25. What do you think is the better range for him at receiver? 25. Okay. He only what? finished in the mid-20s last year, and I know he missed a little bit of time, but I would say that I would expect similar numbers. Again, unless they shock the world and they completely ignore the wide receiver two position and they go in saying, 
we'll just figure it out if it's going to be Donovan Peoples Jones or somebody like that. Then and, and Jake, again, and yeah, I mean, any Grant, don't forget about the, the dream. <laughs> know, hey, very, very underrated. Oh, by the way, there is a follow up report as we're doing this. The Browns view Mayfield as the starter. There we go. So expect Baker back. Austin Hooper's gone to clear that cap space, and they did end up franchising David Njoku. So is this is this just a situation where it's like, oh my god, it's Njoku time again? And like he's just terrible. Uh, mostly because Harrison Bryant's still there, who's a dangerous threat. All right, so let's say because... let's say Dan Arnold sticks with the Jags. Would you rather go Ingram or Njoku? Mm, Ingram. Okay. I just the tight ends. I feel like chasing tight ends in Cleveland is like what we've been doing with the Seahawks. We've been chasing the tight. Like, sure, if you took Cleveland Browns tight end. Yeah, fun. If you took Seattle Seahawks tight end, yeah, fun. But it's always like three or four weeks of one guy and like, oh, this is finally happening. And then it's either injury or somebody else's turn or they just run too many two, two tight end sets. And yeah, the Hooper release actually shocked me because how much dead money it was in. And I think it was Jeremy Fowler who was reporting that that's why it wasn't going to happen. So, yeah, it, this is this definitely does make Njoku more intriguing. I think... Uh, I'm trying to think like where I would take him. You know, if it, you know what, I, I'm gonna change my answer, Pat. I'm gonna change my answer on your side because I'm gonna shoot for ceiling, and I'm gonna shoot to say that like maybe Njoku finally does get to stay on the field 70 plus percent of the time, and we finally get to see what we've always wanted to see from Njoku. At that point of drafting tight ends, I'm not trying to get tight end 10. I'm trying to get tight end three. So I would I would take Njoku at that point. Yeah, you're trying to find the guy who's winning you your league, or you're cutting after two weeks. That's the pick. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Jets. They did stuff, kind of. Uh, they re-signed Joe Flacco. They tendered the legend that is Mike White. They re-signed Tevin Coleman, re-signed Braxton Berrios, signed two tight ends, Tyler Conklin and C.J. Uzma, who's coming off that injury. So now they're playing dual tight end sets for reasons, yeah. I suppose, despite having all these receivers now at the moment too, and probably drafting a receiver at the same time. The re-signing of Coleman, I have to feel like, is really good news for Michael Carter. That, that's the only thing that I yes. took away from any of this, is that good news for Michael Carter, good news for Elijah Moore, that's about it. Yeah, I actually think that, the two, I don't know that the two tight ends is even going to happen. This is more of just kind of a sprinkling and in, and I mean, Uzama and Conklin just replicate each other, and just maybe like neither one of them have a you know, great track row. Obviously, Uzama is like a very poor track record of staying healthy. And oh, you know what? I think also, you... good news for Irv Smith in Minnesota. Oh, 100%. People seem to have forgot how excited everybody was for Irv Smith last year before that injury. Yeah, 100% about this. I immediately, there's one part that you also left out is they're already addressing the offensive line. And I don't necessarily think they're even done. Could potentially see that in the draft, which is why I tweeted out Michael Carter RB1 season. Actually, it was Carter RB1, like one word type of thing, just being stupid. Like I mean, everybody is. Having, uh, but, ha having to explain your tweets is like really sharp, Jake. Well, 100%. If you saw the tweet, I didn't have to explain it, but I have to explain what I'm saying, it, which again, obviously stupid tweet. Point being, you know, uh, you know how much I love Michael Carter. If everybody's seen the show last year when we talked rookies, if we talked that team in general, they know how much I love Michael Carter. And I said the upside for him coming out of college was Austin Eckler. Yeah, that's that's really what he could be. Am I putting him in Austin Eckler territory yet? Not quite. But if it happened now with what this team is coming, you I think 
weren't you the one that said it a few weeks ago? Don't be surprised that the Jets are significantly better. Or was that, that me? And then you told me I was I sounded too much like Andrew Cust. No, that, that was actually me who said that because Cust is out on the okay. Jets this year, which means that they're going to be rising in the rankings. Oh, until oh, he, they're in, winning the division in, if he's out. Until he gets sucked all the way back in after a week, and then they're terrible again. Oh, so what you're telling me is like fine. So bet them to win the division when they start like seven and two. Find somebody to buy your bet from you, and then as soon as Anarchus is back in, and then watch them like lose the last like ninety percent of their games. Galaxy brain. <laughs> I like the way you're thinking. <laughs> Uh, but yes, I love Michael Carter. I actually think Corey Davis could be an intriguing dart throw late just because they, like it was a lot of injury issues with him last year. Berrios was replacing Jameson Crowder, and yeah, that's good for the real team. Uh, if Corey Davis misses time, Berrios could be very intriguing. If you look at the first three, I think, games and then two of the last three games from last year, Berrios showed the upside that he has playing that Crowder role. The real value here, like there's two. I want Elijah Moore. I want Michael Carter. But I have a feeling, Pat, that similar to C.D. Lamb last year, and I'm not saying he's going to go as high, but I have a feeling by the time we get to August, Elijah Moore's draft capital is going to be so ridiculous that we're, we're basically buying peak return. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day, and that's not a lie, because I take one scoop of Athletic Greens into the water, shake it up, and I got my breakfast to go for the day. Gives me the energy I need to be as fired up as possible. Doesn't make me logy like having like eggs and bacon does. And it gives me all the nutrients that I need. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens. To help you start your day right, this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging. It's lifestyle friendly too. Whatever you eat, keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, Athletic Greens has got you covered. It supports mental clarity and alertness. And some people take a ton of multivitamins, and this way you don't have to because it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb, and that is what Athletic Greens can do for you. And it costs less than $3 a day. If you're investing in your health, it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. And Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a weird, complicated supplement routine to recover that was costing him $100 per day. Just $3 a day. That's much better than that. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews as well. It's recommended by professional athletes and me, Pat Mayo. So that's how you know that it's going to be good. Right now is an easy time to reclaim your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash mayo. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash mayo to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Did you know that browsing online using incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? That's right. Without the added security, you may as well just give away all your private data to hackers, advertisers, and your ISP and other prying eyes. That's why I use IPVanish VPN to make it easy to stay truly private and secure on the internet. IPVanish helps you safely browse the internet by encrypting 100% of your data. This means that your private details, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be completely shielded from falling into the wrong hands. Even your physical location will be hidden. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. It's that simple. 
You can use IP Vantage on unlimited devices without sacrificing on speed, your computers, tablets, phones, even devices like Fire Stick when you're streaming media. Whether I'm at home or in public, I don't go online anymore without using IP Vanish. IP Vanish is offering an incredible 70% off their yearly plan right now to our listeners with a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's like getting nine months for free. IP Vanish is so easy to use. All you got to do is tap one button and you're instantly protected. You won't even know what's on. Stop sharing with the world everything you stream, everything you search for, and everything that you buy. Take your privacy back today with the brand rated 4.6 out of 5 on Trustpilot. So go to ipvanish.com mayo and use promotional code mayo to claim your 70% savings. That's ipvanish.com slash mayo. He's another guy that I could potentially keep. The, I'm, the rebuilding year could not have gone better, Jake, especially with some <laughs> of the moves that have been made, Like especially if Watson goes to the Saints, because that same redshirt tag I have on Etienne, I have on Fryermuth, and I have on Michael Thomas, who no one wanted to draft. So I have him in like the sixth round. But I also traded Cuss Jalen Waddle, who he can keep in the first round this year, for Jerry Judy and Elijah Moore, who are like back-end keepers. All of a sudden, <laughs> Russell Wilson goes to Denver. It's like, all right. Jerry Judy. Now we're now we're doing a little bit better here than he was with Drew Locke at the time. So I want to talk about Denver. How does this impact okay. their offense? Because I, I'm kind of with you that you can't really upgrade Russ too much if he's not running because the situation really hasn't changed for him. He has two capable receivers, a pretty good tight end, and a, a good running game to go along with it. I think the offense is going to be better than it was in Seattle overall, but I don't think his fantasy numbers are directly impacted. He'll be about the same, maybe slightly more efficient, slightly better. But Sutton and Judy, potentially Patrick, and big Albert. I, there you uh, go. Albert O's got to be the big winner here. I, I'm going to have to learn his he last is... name. <laughs> Okuwe Bunam. It's not sticking. You don't care. It's, you not, really it's, don't. it's, it's not sticking. <laughs> Oku. Oku. Weibu. 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 Nam. There, there's two Weibus in there? It's Oku, Weibu, 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 and Nam? No, no, no. I was like repeating to like emphasize it. Oh. So Oku, Weibu, Nam. Just remember like the Koo and the Boo sounded like so. Now you just get here. You got to remember OK and Koo Boo. Oku, Weibu, Nam. So this was a big win for Albert O. In terms of the tight end rankings, <laughs> of all the other guys that we've talked about so far, except for maybe Irv Smith, like I feel like Irv Smith and Big Albert O are above the Ingrams <laughs> and the Jets guys and Injoku in terms of ones I would want to potentially take a flyer on as to be like a top five tight end. I think that's it's plausible. The problem with Wilson is they're going to sign some jabroni no one's ever heard of, and that's who Wilson's going to throw touchdowns to. No, so I'm not that worried about it. I was glad that you brought in Tim Patrick's name because I was going to say, argumentatively, you could say he's got a better depth in Denver now because Tim Patrick is significantly better than anything he's been dealing with as a third wide receiver for Seattle for some time. I think you, as of today, would easily argue that career and performance-wise, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are better than Cortland Sutton or Jordy, Jer Jerry Judy. We know their upside, Sutton and Judy, and we know pro... I was going to say prolifically, that's not the right word, profilery, whatever it might be. Uh, Judy fits Lockett, Sutton fits Metcalf, and not 100%. They're kind of like more like 90% fits, which would lean a lot of people, and deservedly so, to say, 
the ceiling and the one I probably really want is Jerry Judy because he can freelance a little bit more as Russ extends plays. And then all of a sudden you hit that big play over the top as Lockett gets behind all the defenders. And then, you know, Sutton is DK Metcalf. And I could see that. I think that makes a lot of sense. But I think that we're not we. I say like the community as a whole is kind of overlooking the impact that Tim Patrick might have. And that's why I have Judy and Sutton and still in the 20s. I have Judy slightly in front of Sutton, but they're not in the teens like Metcalf and Lockett were because I think Patrick's a factor. And I agree with you about Oku Webunam and the fact that I put him, I think, at tight end 13 or 14 because it comes down to the three receivers and that even Gerald Everett, that brief spell was only, you know, so valuable as a low end tight end one. And I just don't know that Albert O can get to top 10. So I'm with you as a flyer, but similar to what I was just saying with the situation with Elijah Moore, I feel like just watching Twitter and watching everybody go bananas, especially because Fant got traded away. He's going to be drafted as a top 10 tight end. And at that point, I'm just like, that's that dead zone I'm talking about. Like if he's tight end eight, nine, I'm just, I'm skipping that part of the draft. One word answers. Yes or no. Actually, this one doesn't work for yes or no, but one word answer. No. Sut- Sutton or Judy? Judy. Is Judy a top 20 wide receiver? No. Okay. So he's in that Amare range then. Yes. And Sutton would be top 30 probably. Maybe 35. Ye- yes. Okay. I, I think we're reading the tea leaves here. Seattle, we don't really know what they're doing, but they have playmakers. <laughs> I guess Drew Locke's starting I mean, for can- them. Pete Carroll said he saw Drew Locke as, you know, like uh, Pete Carroll's full of crap. <laughs> uh, obviously, it's a downgrade. Is it a downgrade to them, or is Drew Locke just going to be chucking bombs to these guys? Well, yeah, I think that's where it's not as much as a downgrade as everybody's going to make it out to be. Drew Locke, clearly, you do numbers, you do play, whatever you need to look at to see. We all know what Locke is versus Wilson. And the one thing he has over Wilson for fantasy purposes, and similar to the Heineke thing, he's more aggressive, and he's more aggressive downfield, more aggressive. So, you know, does he complete 15% fewer passes? Like That's a huge number. Maybe if you can get 10%, the aggressiveness of the big plays offsets it some, but it would still be a downgrade. Where we, We're talking about DK Metcalf as a low-end wide receiver one, and Lockett still being that mid-wide receiver two who couldn't finish as a wide receiver one, but a little bit more touchdown reliant. Big play reliant, as I was just talking about with the Russell Wilson extending plays and that connection that they had. Obviously, Locke's, Lockett's not going to have the connection he had with Wilson with Locke. So, yeah, I put them very much in a similar range of the Broncos wide receivers now. They kind of fall into the same group. I think I would still go Metcalf over both, but then I think I would take both Broncos guys before I came back to Lockett, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that does. Uh, the gap between Lockett and Metcalf, I do think it's a bit pronounced when you have a lesser quarterback, a less efficient quarterback at the helm. Uh, and maybe we're completely wrong about that because it maybe just play it every other week. If you can somehow get both of them, figure out their schedule of when they're going to be good, that can be the way to go about it. The Bills did some intriguing things, mostly defensively at this point. We don't normally talk about defense here, but this is the absolute most, hey, we're going to try to win the Super Bowl this year or next year. That's our window. Let's sign Von Miller to an outrageous deal as a (laughs) 32-year-old. That, I mean, I was going to say the other team that did that was the Chargers. But yes, the Bills, wow, when that contract came through. Hey, I think it was Schefter that tweeted or was either field yet like the first ever defender to get $200 million contracts. And as you said, at 32 years old, 
this is definitely like maybe a maybe a third year pat but yeah you are 100 right this is like we're going for it we want to win this now if not soon you know like two years three years at the most um but yes this defense a little bit concerning for matchups if you see like opponents facing them uh, they biggest thing that they needed was some more pass rush and they essentially got it von miller but yeah, the, the the Bills are going to be a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, they already were. They're just going to be a hell of a lot of fun next year. So are the Chargers, honestly. Like, I think we need to include the Chargers in the same same conversation. Yeah, they haven't just done. They haven't done enough on the offensive side of the ball. Besides, re-sign Mike Williams to do sure. much in terms of our conversation today. They're who they're going to be, and I think their defense got a lot better. But on the Bills' offensive side, there's one name that was really intriguing to people. Well, one was McKissick didn't go there, thus theoretically Devin Sing then Devin Singletary should retain some of the value that he saw towards the end of the season obviously he was a lot better than Zach Moss was and Matt Breda for that matter and he started catching passes at the same time too and taking away a lot of those goal line opportunities from Josh Allen to try to keep him healthy now in the playoffs just turn the ball over to Josh Allen that's what you're preparing him for all year long is to right. go full tilt in the playoffs don't get hurt during the regular season win enough Put up the stats. That's, that's all gravy. It's playoff time that we're looking for here. So Camaro and Isaiah McKenzie are both back with the team. Who cares? People started talking about yep. O.J. Howard like that was going to affect Dawson Knox. It's not. O.J. Howard's <laughs> there to block. He is one of the best blocking tight ends <laughs> in football. I know. I saw a lot of the same thing. They're like, hey, this could be what we always thought O.J. Howard could be. And remember the excitement and whatever. Like, And I had the same reaction you did, Pat. It's like, remember why... OJ Howard got buried and split time with Cameron Brait because, and that's the whole argument we were having in fantasy at the time is like, yeah, we would love more OJ Howard, but he's asked to block way too much because he's too damn good in the blocking game to his fantasy detriment. Got him a nice contract, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about knock. I mean, maybe I'll ding knocks a spot or two just because there's somebody now who could potentially just take some snaps away on the field because they aren't going to run a lot of 12. So that's the thing. And just opportunity for Knox, but I'm not that worried about Knox. I'm not excited at all for OJ Howard to go back to the running back situation. I tell you what, I've had this feeling the entire offseason, Pat, and who, if they draft like a new, they get their new spiller. Remember CJ Spiller? They get the Isaiah Spiller or even Walker, or they just basically, they draft like a day two running back. They probably don't do it in the first round. Maybe. Um, Oh my God. Like I, I know everybody's excited for Singletary, but if they got somebody like that kind of a bell cowie and I'm not, you know, yes, Josh Allen takes some value out of this backfield no matter what, but you look, you brought up Spiller or Singletary and I'm saying this, this is why as of today. Yes. Singletary is a very intriguing RB two because we saw how good he could be. If given a lot of the opportunities, I still don't think he's a true bell cow for the entire season. And that's why I'm bringing up these names because if they do get, a bell cow type talent, like a Javante Williams from last year's draft in this year's draft. All of a sudden, we now do really like a Bills running back. And I think that's intriguing to watch. Of course, that's still a month plus away, but I'm just bringing that up as a sidebar. As, as in, I would se- put it this way, I would sell Singletary if I had him in Dynasty right now. His value will never be higher, in my opinion. The Cowboys don't bring anyone new in, but they get a, get rid of two key pieces of the receiving game and condense them a little bit more. Now, maybe what they did in the draft last year to try to rebuild some of their wide receiver depth or just basically add to it so they could get rid of Amari Cooper. But now you have C.D. Lamb. Michael Gallup has been brought back coming off the injury, so I'm assuming he's going to be okay after getting $57.5 million with $23 million guaranteed. Schultz has put on the franchise tag. How do you see the pecking order in this offense going with 
without Wilson, Cedric Wilson, and Amari Cooper around now. It's going to be Lamb. Is he a top five receiver without those guys around? I still don't think he quite gets there. Okay. Uh, I think it, we just saw last year, it, especially Lamb. I said, is Schultz a top five tight end? I think that's more likely. I, I have Schultz just, I think I had him at like six or seven after these moves and that we saw how clear this was going to be. And hey, Schultz did finish there last year. We also had hurt TJ Hawkinson, hurt George Kittle. I think he's definitely in that second tier of tight ends conversation. Like not the Kelsey, not the Andrews, but that next group. I think you put him in that conversation. It's clear. As of today, he is no question the third option at worst. And until, and you know, you said Gallup. I've seen some reports out there that say, he might be like Barkley last year. And granted, Barkley, before he rolled his ankle on the Dallas defender of all teams, uh, he was starting to look like he was getting back to 100%. So I'm saying, like, we could get Gallup by the end of September, but there's some reports that are saying you might not get 100% Gallup until the middle of the season. And I bring that up to say not just the Schultz excitement, which is definitely valid in what you're talking about, but as of today, if they don't draft the wide receiver again, <laughs> that Simi Fajoko or Noah, Noah Brown. Brown. I'm yeah. a Fahoko Yeah, I'm a Fahoko guy, but it's definitely not clear as of today. Barely even I don't even know if you saw the field last year, but whoever wins that third wide receiver role or if they draft somebody that's better than both of them, that person's going to be very intriguing to me because what is Gallup to start the season? And, you know, could they make an impact and make such an impact that once Gallup is 100%, it's what we saw last year, where, like, Gallup still has value as the wide receiver three. It's more inconsistent, but it's still somebody that you would want in fantasy. Let's move to the Lions, who are returning the goof as their quarterback. That's always fun. But they did sign DJ Chark, who... Yeah. Why, if you could sign DJ Chark to one year, $10 million... What in God's name is Jacksonville doing signing Christian Kirk and Zay Jones? What was happening in Jacksonville? That's the bat crap crazy part of Jacksonville, 100%. Is like that, it just made zero sense to me. I'm legitimately excited about DJ Chark in Detroit. And it has nothing like, yeah, I've always liked DJ Chark. So, you know, people are like, oh, you vote. But I put this in the article. Yes, we don't like Jared Goff. Jared Goff as a real life NFL quarterback. It's not that great. We all saw that Sean McVay was the magic behind him. However, even so, for three straight seasons, Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods, 80-plus receptions, 1,200 yards. Each the next year, 90 receptions, 1,100 yards. Each for Cup and then Woods. And then 90 and 900-plus yards was a little bit of the down year. Each for Cup and Woods. And I say each because they both did it both times every single year. His minimum, if you want to take the minimums from all that, his minimum for his top two wide receivers is 80 receptions and 900 yards. Four. Those guys usually got past the, the receiving yards. Yes, Hawkinson's better than anything that Goff had. Tyler Higby had one really good season. Not one good season in that mix. So do I think they both get to... That obviously, Chark and Amar Ross St. Brown is who I'm talking about here. Do I think they get to 90 and 1,100 each? No, but if you told me 80 and 900 yards as the floor, yeah, with Hawkinson in that mix. So both wide receiver threes with Chark and Amon Ross St. Brown. Like, golf is not terrible for fantasy purpose because he also likes to hone in on two guys and stick with his two wide receivers. They also re-signed Khalif Raymond and Josh yeah, Reynolds. And Reynolds was looking okay after he left Tennessee and went there as one of the, I think that Reynolds was, is more likely to stick 
as the wide receiver three slot type guy or the guy that moves around the field. Well, Raymond will continue to be used on special teams and potential deep three play. Yeah. I, I actually don't mind this offense. I'm with you. I like, I'm a, I don't think Chark takes away from St. Brown at all, by the way. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's rapid fire through the rest of the, most teams haven't really done anything. Like we can't really speculate on the Watson stuff because he could go to a bunch of places. But let's talk about the Bucks because obviously Antonio Brown is gone. Brady is back. Godwin signed a new deal. And then they get Russell Gage. Could they have three top 30 wide receivers again? I don't think so. I think really? Russell Gage for fantasy purposes. Yeah, I think Russell Gage would be a lot more fun if he was just stuck with Atlanta for fantasy purposes because we saw what he could be. I think he's a better real-life signing than fantasy. I mean, we're talking about, like, I mean, look at the names just in this show alone that we talked about in the 30s. I'd say 40s for Russell Gage. And if Godwin or Evans missed time, he could jump up into the 30s and have but, some very but, productive But should, weeks, but should we rank him that way? Where if, I mean, Mike Evans is, is no beacon of health by any means, and he'll miss like a game, two games, then he'll leave a few games and screw you over. But he'll get to his 1,000 yards, and he'll be excellent, top 20 guy. And then you have Godwin coming off this injury. Like, if you try to play into that there could be injuries on this team i have no reason to think that gage wouldn't be like a top 25 top 20 receiver if one of those guys didn't exist and we might be dealing with that for six games a year i think that has to be factored into his ranking a little bit just a little bit a little bit but i mean we're again we're still talking about the names i mean we put sutton outside the top 30 like there's there's a lot for that to break right but what your point should be and what everybody should remember is that instead of drafting bench depth which is the mistake people do every single year is like oh you know i could use this guy during the buys blah 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 no you look for opportunities like this where you take russell gage in the 10th round and then all of a sudden godwin's not ready for week one or evans hurt week two and all of a sudden you do have a top 25 wide receiver and that's the way that more think about it arizona gets rid of Edmonds, re-signs two tight ends mm-hmm. in Ertz and Max Williams, who was injured. That's why they ended up coming back and getting Zach Ertz in the first place. Now they have two tight ends that they're probably not going to throw to. I guess they threw to Ertz. They hated throwing to Max Williams. Ertz, for- Ertz was tight end five after he got there. That's crazy. And did he score a touchdown or he had that one game with the two? Or was that before he left? Yeah, he, he, he had the... I thought he won or two, but the, he owes over nine points, fantasy points per game since getting there. And actually, if you did that over the full season, nine points uh, per game would get you about tight end eight for the year. But the big thing is they re-signed James Conner three years, 21 million, yeah. 16 million over the first two years. He's their guy. And they don't really have anyone else right now. And that might change in free yeah. agency or through the draft or whatever. But let's say it's very unlikely that he walks into a split situation at least, unless they go really high in draft capital during the draft, that he's probably pencil him in for at least the 60% role in this backfield. That's pretty good. There you go. I was going to say 60%. Like, I wasn't going to go bell cow. I, there's a lot. I mean, they could take – there's another one. They could take the other cook. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. I'm going off my list here. Uh, I'm thinking pass catchers. Pierre Strong, Batty. Like, there's, there's other guys who could step in and be Chase Edmonds if they don't think, you know, Benjamin can be Chase Edmonds. The 60% is, I think that's a realistic number because even if they do draft somebody, the, the names I just mentioned, those are likely day three picks. Those are likely the, you know, Benjamin, Chase Edmonds, when healthy role, like the pass catching roles to mix in and not let Connor touch the ball 80% of the time. So what it comes down to is what do we believe for the touchdown upside? Similar to Ezekiel Elliott, the touchdowns are just going to be there. Like James Conner, Ezekiel Elliott, depending on what the Cowboys do, Derek Henry and 
maybe one or two other like these are there are very few running backs you can project aggressively and say 10 plus rushing touchdowns and connor if healthy and i know big question mark but if healthy he's going to score double digit touchdowns and that's why he'll probably be drafted as a mid rb2 deservedly so given the risk but if he plays 15 out of the 17 games likely finishes as a top 10 running back and when we talk about the 60 percent, unless they do actively go target a running back high end in the draft i'm saying that 60 percent is the downside that's probably best for him keeping on the field the entire season but i would say that's his floor he could play 75 percent of the snaps and like you mentioned unless kyler gets back to running kyler this year and we really haven't seen that for any of the past 25 games or so like very occasionally Mm -hmm. is he gonna break one off but he's not running 13 times a game anymore and he's certainly not calling his own number at the goal line as much as he was doing at least in the first half of last not last year the year before when he was the best fantasy player there was so James Conner is going to get those touchdowns yeah he can be a top 10 guy no problem like I would say it's a 50-50 chance with everything situated right now that James Conner outscores Nick Chubb despite the fact that James Conner is nowhere near being as good as Nick Chubb I would put it higher, honestly. Okay. All right, so that's that's yeah. where we're at with all these guys. Yeah. Any yeah. any other signings that we missed you think we should talk about? Mm, I'm scrolling down. My, like, I think you mentioned legitimately everybody. Everyone. I, I, tried to, I tried to get through all the good ones. And there's the stuff we don't you know. Did, like, probably. obviously, Carolina's offense or the Saints' offense or Atlanta's offense could look markedly different in an hour's time if Deshaun well, Watson goes there. Well, Carolina... As we're doing this, Carolina, Joe Pearson of The Athletic. The Panthers are out on Deshaun Watson without a Hail Mary. All right, so it's Atlanta or New Orleans, probably New Orleans, is, is our guess. Yeah, as you mentioned. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. Michael, I, I, Michael, Michael, Atlanta Michael, one. Michael Thomas, top 10? Huh? Huh? <laughs> hey, you know, like, as ornery as a person he is in real life, <laughs> like, hey, fantasy-wise, I don't care about it. I like have fantasy production. I wouldn't say top 10. But I'd say rebounding top 20, almost a lock. And top 15, you might get me to say a lock. Top 10's a little bit aggressive just because it's been so long. So he's been on the field. So let's say top 20 lock with the potential to be the best receiver in fantasy football. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Maybe he'll run something other than a slant. Who knows? Well, no, that's what I was about to say. I think Watson, not that he can't throw downfield, obviously. I actually think Watson... Everybody's about to be like, no kidding, Jake. But like Watson's better as much as Jameis is a great fantasy value for wide receivers because of his aggressiveness. Like Watson is better for Michael Thomas because Michael Thomas doesn't run 20 yard routes all the time. So I'm saying like as much as Winston would be better than what the Saints were doing at quarterback, obviously with Taysom Hill, he would be a boost ish for Michael Thomas. Deshaun Watson would be a clear huge boost. And I think, you know, you would say that about any quarterback that's going to throw more of those routes than just trying to chuck it up downfield. All right. So I'm keeping Michael Thomas as a redshirt keeper is what you're telling me here. If Deshaun Watson goes, I guess it doesn't matter. who. How many keepers can you have? I can only have three, but I get one of the red shirts for free so I can have four. So I'm in a real conundrum here because I have great keepers. I I see that. I also have Javante Williams as a redshirt keeper as well. I tanked last year, like tank tanked. Very I, clearly, you did it very well. I did. I I didn't do the thing where I tried to compete. I was like, no, I'm just going to draft first and second year players at good keeper value, and I'm not going to play them all year because I need flexibility here. I have three first round picks. Like it should be a good year for me theoretically. I like it. I like it a lot. Does everybody hate you? 
Well, it's the first year I've ever done this in the 13 years. Usually I try to compete and try to make the playoffs and then get bounced in like the semifinals. Oh, so you have a history. Yeah, I have a, I have a history okay. in this league of not doing this. I finally said, screw it. I'm, this is what I'm doing this year. <laughs> I'm out, here's my buy-in. Uh, I'm going to win. I didn't even come in last. I came in like third last or something like that because I ended up with like <laughs> Elijah Moore, who was good for like four weeks at a time. Um, so I just tried to hit. <laughs> I basically just cast a very wide net and be like, I hope five of these guys hit. And then I have some trade equity. I have some good keepers and I can really utilize my top end picks. And that's the blueprint of what I'm doing right now. We'll see how it works out. What do you got going on at theathletic.com for the rest of the week and early next week? Well, you're fired. Yeah, so Is that what the you're going to say? Yeah, 100% fired. <laughs> Baseball. Nope, was, hey, I know you're rolling your eyes. I can't. I know. Exactly. Full swing. Uh, like legitimately, I've been, Pat, I've been finishing projections, sending them to Nando. And within 10 minutes, somebody else signs or gets traded. It's the most infuriating thing ever. But I'm doing that, and I'm covering the NFL free agency at the same time. As soon as free agency is over, I'll do a small rankings update on the site because the biggest one is going to come after the draft. Please, if you're smart, do not draft between now and the end. Like, just wait for the NFL draft. I know everybody gets excited, but you're, tor- you're torpedoing your own picks. But that's what's coming. Uh, and then the podcast, of course. But yes, that, that's what we're doing. A lot of free agency, baseball and football, and then lots of football. Jake, looking at the demographics of my show, uh, my the ages of people watching to this and listening to this aren't 65 to 80. So I think that you don't need to be too worried about people doing their fantasy baseball drafts. <laughs> I said fantasy football. That's what I was oh, saying. Fantasy, I thought you were saying fantasy baseball. Either way. We no, gotta, I was saying like, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. Thank you all for watching. Follow Jake on Twitter at AllInKid. Smash the like. Give me your favorite signing down in the subs- in the comment section. Sub to the Mayo Media Newsletter and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please, that would help us out very much. Or sub to the audio podcast if you just prefer not to look at me, which would be crazy, and just listen to me and Jake at the same time. But that'll do it for us. Until next football time, next week, I'll see you then. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!